Is that hilarious or what? Me, church, all about you. Hey, there's a, there's a throne in the center of the universe, and guess what? You're not on it. Turn to your neighbor and tell him that, would you? Kids, go ahead and tell Dad. Dad, there's a, there's a throne in the center of the universe, Dad, and you're not on it. You know, we are, we're, we're rebels, are we not? And uh, we resist the king's right to rule in our lives, and, and we resist his word to us. And this causes a serious amount of problems in our lives. We resist his authority. But the Bible says one day he will appear. And you're here today to get ready for that appearing. So, so let's pray together as we look to God in his word. Father, we pray that you would, would bless now the, the reading and the instruction uh, from your word that we might, Father, be, be ready for the appearing of the King of Kings. Amen. Facing death, some people have a, a sense of regret and a, a loss because they feel that they have not fulfilled their, their purpose. Not Paul. Uh, just before he died, he urgently gave Timothy, and in turn us, the ultimate pep talk, the, 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 the final charge. And this charge was, was given to Timothy under the gaze of Jesus, the, the coming king and judge. And, and this was the charge. The charge was preach the word. Preach the word. Then he explains how to fulfill the charge despite the the me church itching ear syndrome that that Timothy was was stationed in at at Ephesus, and he explains to him how to do that in verses 2, 3, 4, and 5. And like a good spiritual father, a good spiritual mentor, he models the way for Timothy, and he holds up his life as an example in in verses 6, 7, and 8. And here's here's the thrust of this sermon. He he, he gives Timothy a charge. The charge is, is declared. The charge is then described. And then the charge is displayed. It's reflected in his life. That's where we're going today. The charge declared. Living our lives under the, the gaze, the penetrating gaze of the coming King of Kings. Paul says, in the presence of God, and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. And in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge, preach the word. Paul lived with eternity in mind. Every day, he saw his, his day as a way to prepare to meet the coming king. And like him, we must do the same thing. Each day, each week, each month, each year, we need to grow in our awareness that we live under the gaze of a king who is, who is coming. And when he comes, I'll have to give an account for all that I've taught you. And you'll have to give an account for your life as well. So my question this morning is, are you, are you ready? Are you getting ready for the king's scrutiny? 
Because unlike a, a trial before a jury of our peers, the coming king will judge and reward or he'll, or he'll condemn. You'll not get uh, to call any surprise witnesses on that day. You can't bring any new evidence to the trial on that day. The king's verdict will be final, and there will be no appeal. It'll be too late for that. Paul gives a very serious deathbed charge, really, a deathbed charge to his, his young protege, Timothy. He says, preach, herald God's word, publicly proclaim the word, all the while recognizing as you do it that you're under the gaze of a king who is, who is coming. In doing this, Paul was, was following in the footsteps of the master. The Lord Jesus, when he came, he came preaching. He went through the towns and the villages, and he taught in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom of God and healing every disease and, and sickness. The apostles, following Jesus, also believed in the preaching of the word. The church was birthed through spirit-empowered preaching at Pentecost. Peter stood up and, 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 and preached God's word. Now, whether they were unschooled, ordinary men like, like Peter and, and John, or highly educated like the apostle Paul, who sat at the feet of a great rabbi Gamaliel and, and knew many languages, whether they were unschooled or well-educated, the charge was the same. Preach the word. The apostles spoke the word with boldness, Luke says in Acts 4. They were very convinced of the importance of preaching, and, and they even set up a system to free up their time so that they might concentrate on it more fully. It says in, in Acts 6 that it wouldn't be right, this is the, uh, the apostles speaking here, it wouldn't be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word, in order to, to wait on tables. There was, a, there was a problem in the early church. They gave out a lot of food, and the widows would come, and they would be fed. It was a wonderful door opener of, of love being worked out in the church family, and the apostles felt that they needed to de dedicate themselves instead to prayer and giving attention to God's Word and to turn that responsibility over, over to deacons. And so they did that. And Luke records that the word of God spread. Paul was deeply passionate about his, his calling to preach. He called it his priestly duty in Romans 15. He says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they're sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Consequently, Paul says, faith, trust in God, belief that saves, belief that sanctifies. Paul says, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word of Christ. Paul was utterly convinced, and we need to be convinced as well, not just as preachers, but as a church community together, that preaching the gospel and teaching the whole counsel of God creates inside us a faith, a living faith, 
that does an inside job on the heart. It renews the mind, it changes the heart, it shapes and fashions the soul. And out of that place, out of that new heart, we live and we act and we, and we speak. Faith creates an inside job as God's spirit illuminates God's word to the human soul. And that's how we get out of this me church itching ear syndrome. As a people, all of us, myself included, wrestle with that. We have stony hearts. We have ears that are closed up. And every time we, we come to God's word, we, we wrestle with this resistance to his authority to, to speak into our lives and, and tell us how to live. If you experience that, you're not alone. Everyone, every human being is in process of being reshaped and refashioned by, by God's word. It's an act of grace for his Holy Spirit to enliven God's word in our hearts. Preaching is a primary tool that God uses. It's, it's like laser surgery. The author of, of Hebrews says the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword, able to divide soul from spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Boy, how true is that? Some of you are going through the, through the New Testament in a year program, or perhaps you're doing the through the Old Testament, or, or maybe even through the whole Bible in a year program. You know what I'm talking about. There's a struggle to get there, but when we get there, God in His mercy, His Word comes to us. It's enlivened by the Spirit, and it, and it cuts away those, those polyps, those moral cancers that are growing on our soul, and it sets us free to become more like Jesus, to become the kind of people that God has destined us to be. That's God's word at work. Paul was convinced, and so should we be, that, that preaching is one of the primary tools in God's hand. So the charge is declared. Preach the word. Then the charge is described. He says, endure in this, even if, if no one is listening. He says in verse 2, be prepared in season, be prepared out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather to themselves a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, Timothy, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. There's a part of us that resists the king's word. It does not desire the truth, but instead this, this flesh, this part of us, this fallen nature that is in rebellion towards God, craves instead the new, the hip. Our flesh aches for, for things that, that really ultimately aren't healthy for us. People by nature don't tolerate healthy sound teaching. We have an intolerance to healthy sound doctrine. But God in His mercy is working in my life and in yours, if you are in Christ, 
to overcome that disorder. You know, healthy sound doctrine is hard. And so it's just a lot easier to collect and gather to yourself teachers to tell you what you really would rather hear and to itch your ears where they scratch. And so people can turn away to modern myths. We saw a, uh, a modern myth displayed so graphically in that video. The myth that, that consuming more stuff will make you happier. That's, that's the modern myth in America today. It's, it's this sense that, that we deserve something, and we've got this hole in our hearts that can only be filled uh, by, by craving and desiring more stuff. And that's a modern myth. We know it. If we're in Christ, we know it's, we know it's crazy, and yet we get, we get turned away, we get sucked up into that, and we go after it all the time. The point here is that, that Paul is encouraging Timothy and me and the pastors of this church and all of you who are leading Bible studies and teaching classes to continue to endure and preaching the Word. The point is to be faithful. Noah was faithful to the charge. And he preached to his generation. As he built that ark, he preached. The very act of his building of the ark was a, was, was a prophetic act that, that preached to his generation of unbelievers, and yet he had zero results. But he was faithful. Jonah, on the other hand, preached to unbelievers in Nineveh. He saw huge results. There was a revival that broke out. The charge is to be faithful. Results, results come from God. So, the charge declared, preached the word. The charge described. And, and thirdly, the charge displayed. Now, Paul says that he wants three characters, three characteristics rather, three qualities in all of us as we fulfill this, this charge together. And they start with, with three Ps. Preparation, patience, and perseverance. Preparation. He says, be prepared in season. Be prepared out of season. Not just during harvest time. Be, be prepared. Whether the time is, is right or not, be ready. Lincoln said, if I have six hours to cut down a tree... I'll spend the first four hours sharpening the axe. Be prepared in season and out of season. Peter says, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So in order to fulfill this charge, one of the character qualities that we need to have in us is, is a constant preparation. The pastors of our church had a great week where we went away to a training seminar learning how to preach from, from 2 Timothy. We really dug in and we all aspire together to, to get better as, as Paul says to Timothy, let others see your progress. And so we went away together and, and we got some, some great training and some of what we've learned here over the last few months comes directly out of that preparation that we engaged with together. Secondly, Paul says to be patient with great patience. He also says keep your head in all situations. In other words, be sober-minded. That's what the Greek means there. Be sober-minded. Be level-headed. 
You know, there can be a lot of turmoil in relationships and in churches. And part of the charge that we have as, as servant leaders in God's church is, is, to, is to stay level-headed, to stay calm and courageous in turbulent times. Thirdly, perseverance. He says, endure hardship, literally put up with suffering. Now, Paul knew what it meant to suffer. Five times he received the 40 lashes minus one, 39 lashes. Five times he received that beating. That beating was given for, for teaching heresy in the synagogue. Five to, one time was oftentimes enough to kill you. Paul went through it five times. Three times he was beaten with rods. One time he was stoned, dragged out of the, the city at Lystra, and left for dead. Four times he was shipwrecked. He spent a day and a night at sea, adrift. He said he was in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, in danger in the city, in danger in the wilderness, in danger from his own people, in danger from Gentiles. He had danger at the sea, danger from from false brothers, He said, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And on top of all these, he said, I I carry with me the daily pressure of anxiety for the churches. Paul persevered and endured great hardship. He's lifting up his own life to his young protege, Timothy and saying, follow my example. Three character qualities. Preparation. You young men that feel called to the ministry, today is the day to start preparation. Make an appointment with Robbie or Jamie or me, and we'll we'll help you get ready for what God has in store for you. Patience and perseverance are the three characteristics that we need. He also mentions three duties of the charge. The first duty is the duty of life-on-life discipleship. He says, correct, rebuke, and encourage. That's personal. That's not just preaching. That's life-on-life. That's getting with people and with great patience and careful instruction, warning them and patiently explaining them uh, how they are to follow Christ. I remember one time when I was in in college, I was a brand-new Christian. I had pledged this fraternity. It was sort of the Grateful Dead fraternity. You know that kind of fraternity, the Animal House fraternity? And I was a brand new Christian. They're great guys. Some of them are working on Wall Street now and, you know, editing magazines and stuff. But, but at the time, they were a bunch of, bunch of knuckleheads. And uh, I was a brand new Christian, and I pledged the fraternity, and my goal was to win this fraternity to Christ. We had a 60s party. You dress up. I had on my holy jeans, not holy like that, but... Real holes, not the kind nowadays where they, you know, they put them in at the company, but real worn out, good old Levi's worn out jeans. I had a wig on with long hair. I was dressed up to look like an art professor in the college who was known to come over to the fraternity and, and drop a little LSD with some of the brothers. No lie. That man later uh, committed suicide and died 
But uh, at the time, he was sort of a, a funny kind of guy, and so I had, I had a, a, a wig on and was dressed just like him, and I had a sign, Dr. So-and-so, on my chest. It was a costume party. So I go walking down the big wide stairs of my fraternity, and in through the big door comes my pastor. All six foot eight of them walking in the door. I had a, 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 a cup in my hand with undisclosed liquid beverage in it. And I, I walked down and, and there he was. There's Pastor Mark. All six foot eight of them in the door. Hi, Pastor Mark. Uh, what are you doing here? Well, I, I just came to see where you live. Okay. Uh, show me around. Introduce me to your friends. Okay. Life on life discipleship. The next morning I woke up. Mark never said a word. He never said a word to me. He was kind of a tough guy, a stern guy. I liked him. He was only 28 years old. He was barely two or three steps ahead of me. I was a brand new Christian. And yet his example to me, speaking God's word and the way he lived his life, just it it convicted me. The next morning I woke up and I said, I, I, can't, I can't live in both worlds like this. I wasn't drunk, but they didn't know that. I needed to change. And God broke in and, and had mercy on me. Life on life discipleship. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience because we need it. And careful instruction. Secondly, the duty of the charge includes witnessing. He says, do the work of an evangelist. That includes all of us. Now, a lot of us are not going to be gifted evangelists. I'm certainly not. But we all have a duty to witness, to proclaim Jesus Christ as the only Savior and the only Lord, the soon coming King. And unbelievers who are aware, unaware of their peril and their sin need to be lovingly, lovingly confronted with the, the reality that Christ is coming again. And they need to turn and trust in His righteousness rather than in their own righteousness. They need to repent and believe the gospel and not just ignore this incredible gift of God's Son given to us, that gift that we're going to remember here this morning when we take communion together. And it's our job as a church community to witness together. It's a team effort. It's not just going to happen from the pulpit. We all have to do it together, the duty of witnessing. Thirdly, there's a charge to fulfill all the other duties of of ministry and to finish what the Lord has called you to do. Paul does this, and he finishes with unbelievable, unbelievable contentment in Christ. Now, I, I've thought about his, his life a bit, and, and uh, we'll look at it here in just a minute, the, the charge displayed in, in God's life. And I thought, how do I want to go out? How do I want to go out? And I thought, well, the, the, the best way to go out would be, let's say, uh, Robbie and his newly engaged uh, wife, Melissa, Many years from now, he has a grandson, and the grandson comes to him and says, uh, Grandpa Robbie, uh, I need somebody to come speak at our church plant down by the college. 
who can, uh, who can I get to do that? And Rob, you who has that sort of yellowing, orangey, gray hair, you know, and that kind of funky smell that grandpas sometimes have, says to him, well, I remember back in the day, back at the early part of the century, there was this guy I worked with. He's about 99 years old now, but, but he'll come and, you know, when he preaches, he bleeds Bible. You go talk to him. And then he does, and I get to go, and I get to, I get to share the, the, the gospel, and I get to preach and, and get to witness, and, 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 I, and, I, and I do my best, and I close my Bible and sit down and die of a heart attack. That, that's the way I want to go out. I mean, I'm sorry, but that's, that's, that's the way Paul was living. He was giving it all he had. Every ounce of him was, was given to reflect Christ's glory. He says, for I'm already, I'm already, I'm facing death. I'm being poured out like a drink offering. The time's come for my departure. These are the last words of a dying man who knows that his head is about to be cut off under a Roman sword. He says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. Not only to me, not only to me, here's the gospel, not only to me, but also to all who long for his appearing. What an incredible spiritual father, a spiritual mentor Paul was to Timothy. Paul models the way. And he gives a flurry of of four metaphors here in these few verses. He says his life is being poured out like an Old Testament sacrificial drink offering while while he's fighting an agonizing battle. That's what the Greek says. An agonizing spiritual battle, a gladiatorial battle against the world, against his own flesh, his own sinful desires, and, and against his opponents, the opponents of the gospel. And so while he's being poured out like a sacrificial drink offering and, and engaging in this, this, this battle, he's also finishing the race, staying in his, his lane so that he's not disqualified, competing according to the rules, not using performance-enhancing drugs. And yeah, he gets the Olympic gold medal. He gets the, the crown. That's what that, that crown symbolizes. And, and so while he's being poured out like a sacrificial drink off, offering and, and engaged in gladiatorial combat and finishing the race, he says, also, I'm being vindicated. I'm being vindicated in the law court by a holy judge who was not counting my sins against me, but has given me the holiness and the righteousness of another, the spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, whose obedience has now been downloaded to my account. I've been, I've been vindicated. I've been vindicated, Paul says, by the righteousness of another. Let me ask you, do you, do you hunger today for the King's word to you? I hope so. I hope so. I hope the, 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 the coals that are smoldering in there are, are, are beginning to, to warm up more and more. 
Not only do you hope and long and crave and desire God's word, but, but do you hope and long for the appearing of your king? Is that what fuels your tank every morning when you get up? Or, or do you cower in shame at the thought of his appearing and continue to resist his, his right to rule your life? I hope that's not the case, but if it is, there's hope for you today. Honestly, there, there really is. There's hope. Because that's often the case in, in, in my life. We've all been there where we stubbornly resisted God. And, and when you take communion, it is absolutely one of the best, maybe even the best way to have that stony heart turned into flesh. To have those, those itching ears healed, healed, so that you can hear fresh God's word to you. So that hunger for his appearing can be awakened in you. Communion is a demonstration. It's sort of an enactment of the gospel, the word of God preached. And so as we conclude our service and move into communion, let's pray together that God would move among us. Father in heaven, I pray now for me and and, and my household and and for my friends here this morning that as we, we take of the elements of bread and wine, that we would feed on Christ by faith, hearing, hearing His word and longing for His appearing. Amen.